Let's Take This Outside with Marianne Iveson, the podcast where she speaks to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about why they connect with nature. Josephine Barron is the director of Outward Bounds Training Academy for Outdoor Professionals, which is seeking to create access and training opportunities for groups that have been traditionally underrepresented in the outdoor industry. She fell in love with Canada's natural spaces when she moved here as a teenager and firmly believes we are the best version of ourselves when we are outdoors. She led the national community team for Mountain Equipment Co-op, which had the largest series of races in Canada, and is happiest when she is running the trails with her dogs, paddling at her cabin in northern Ontario, or snowboarding in the Rockies. Please enjoy my conversation with Josephine Barron. Josephine Barron, welcome to Let's Take This Outside. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm really excited to chat with you today. It's funny because there's not a video element to this podcast. However, I decided to wear my Outward Bound Training Academy sweater that you guys sent me, and I've been living in it in the winter. So first of all, thank you for this sweater. But I was like, kind of hoping that you would be wearing some kind of merch. I should send you some Let's Take This Outside merch. And we can exchange. That would have been amazing. We could have just reflected each other and the love we have for each other. That would have been great. <laughs> Not surprising, even though you live out west now. Gosh, the, the outdoors is so small, ironically. Um, we know some of the same people from your days at MEC or MEC. I, people call it different things. What do you call it? MEC? I call it MEC, but MEC is, is another one. <laughs> we both are acquaintances, or maybe you know Chris Chappers quite well. Uh, he used to work out of the Ottawa store. How small is the outdoor community? It's ridiculous. You cannot head out on a trail without running into someone you know, or they know someone that you know. And I think that's so ironic that you know Mr. Chapman there, um, because of we started our careers at very much the same time in the outdoors, working in the community and, and races and stuff like that. So that shows you six degrees of separation, right? Yeah, I call him Chappers because... That's what his friends call him. So I don't even know his, you don't even know his real name. I want to get into your background and how you became involved with the training academy. However, you worked at MEC for a long time, right? And we're gonna we're gonna get to that. But where where did you grow up? What did the early days of the outdoors look like for you? So I grew up in England. My mother is from the UK. Um, my father had emigrated from Sri Lanka um, as a Tamil kind of ex escaping much of that social strife that was going on at that time. And I lived for my childhood in the UK. And my mother has a twin sister and another sister, and they had both over the years emigrated to Canada. And it always talked about it's this wonderful place to raise a family. There's so much space and opportunity here. So in the late 80s, we moved here and we had never visited Canada is all I knew of Canada was National Geographic. And I'm not joking. It was either cowboys or polar bears and uh, <laughs> the great Canadian North. And, and that was my vision of what it was to be Canadian. And I distinctly remember this because we flew out of um, Heathrow International Airport and landed in Edmonton International Airport. <laughs> if you are not familiar with those two, they could not be further apart on like the scale of size, how busy it is and where it's situated. And I remember walking outside of the airport and the first thing that I noticed 
was how big the sky was. It was nothing on the horizon. You could look forever and you felt like you could explore forever. And I remember laughing as a family thinking they have straight roads that just don't end. They just go off into the distance. And it was so novel for us. And so as a teenager, I desperately wanted to fit in. And, you know, you have this little brown girl with a thick UK accent and I'm a teenager and there's nothing worse than sticking out and being different as a teenager. So for me, the connection that I made, and I'm not sure why I I really made this connection, but how I thought I could relate to everyone was through the outdoors. I was like, well, everyone here must hike and they must camp because they've got all this space and they have all this freedom in this room. This is what people do. And so that was kind of my introduction to the outdoors was this attempt to fit in in a place where, you know, I didn't really see myself reflected. We went to a junior high that was predominantly white and and everyone knew everyone coming from kindergarten. And so I, you know, started hiking, started getting outside. But when I was outside in that space, there really wasn't a lot of people that looked like me. And so when you take that into kind of what that feels like, it feels like you don't have the ability to ask others for where the local spots are. Because if you're like, I'm not sure where to go. If you're paddling, which back in the early 90s was male dominated and mostly white, you're not sure how to ask for advice on Am I doing this right? Am I being safe? Should I engage in this activity? And even if you do it, say you finish paddling the Briarleys or something like that, who do you celebrate with? Who's your community there? And so that sense of being outside, not being explicitly invited in, and that's a, you know, a really internal kind of conclusion that you arrive at. That's not necessarily externally what's projected by the people within that space. It's something that's the narrative you create in your head when, when you don't have that connection. And so that's kind of how I got into the outdoors and, and really what my experience was with it was thinking this is such a Canadian thing to do and how amazing is it, but never quite feeling like it was my space to do that in. So it felt like you had to be on the sidelines doing it by yourself, or you really had to push your way through and kind of put on a different face for everyone else. How did you do that? Because clearly, you you know, you're a leader in the outdoor community now. How did you push through? How were you able to endure through that? One of the things is, you know, again, early 90s, there wasn't a ton of women out there. You would automatically find, even if you didn't know them, the other female out there, and you would <laughs> gravitate onto them. We joked um, back then, and we called ourselves the chicks in the sticks um, because there were so few of us. And so you found one, and they were yours, <laughs> and, and you really use them as as your support network. But part of it is also taking that deliberate—I call it deep breath—and just being a bit vulnerable and and saying okay, I'm, I'm going to put myself in a really uncomfortable position and just ask. And so I call it the 30 seconds of courage approach where you just go, okay, I, I don't feel like I belong here, but I'm, I'm just going to do it. 
And 90% of the time, everyone welcomes you in. So it really is these internal dialogues and your own background and experience that often create some of those barriers for you. I mean, some of them are very real, no doubt. But, you know, my approach was definitely that 30 seconds of courage and and gravitating towards women as a real support network to help me kind of grow, learn and build those skills that you need. Do you remember, you know, you mentioned paddling, but do you remember specifically what you were learning? Was it camping? Was it hiking? Was it layering? Was it what to pack? Do you remember specifically what you learned from other people and specifically other women? Most of what I learned was already after I had done it wrong. So there's nothing like <laughs> wet in a tent and hanging in your yeah. sleeping bag outside and then looking around and saying, nobody else is hanging up their sleeping bag. What did I do wrong here? <laughs> so it felt like it was a lot of trial and error, but some of the biggest things that I relied on that community for to learn was access and, and safety. So access, where do you go? How do you get there? What's the local spots? Because you can look, I mean, and you think in the early 90s, there was, I wasn't looking on the internet. You know, you're looking in physical maps, you are looking through books, but most of access then was word of mouth. And where's the best place to hike? If I'm going trail running, which trail am I going that I'm not getting lost for the 19th time this month. Um, So access was a big one. And then the other one was that safety piece and didn't really have that natural background of understanding what cold is. You know, coming from the UK, minus one is devastatingly cold. We have water pipes that are outside that freeze if it gets below zero. So trying to comprehend what a minus 20, minus 30 day looks like and how to stay warm when you're skiing is not even on the scale of what I would consider. So really that safety piece and the sheer size of space and how easily you can get lost here. You can't walk for a day and expect to run into another town. That that just doesn't happen. <laughs> Especially if you're walking north of Edmonton, like, I, you know, it's going to be days. It's going to be forever. You might never run into anything, right? Exactly. So that piece, and then also wildlife. Like my baseline for what I might encounter would have been like a badger, <laughs> maybe a little deer. So trying to understand that you know, food is something that's never left in a tent. And if you're in the backcountry, it's put up in a tree because you don't know what you don't know. So that was the biggest learnings that I experienced as a newcomer to Canada was those two pieces. Do you like cold now as an adult? Have you adjusted? I think I have adopted the attitude of when in Rome. So we have winter here in Edmonton from October till April. And I love to get outside regardless, so I might as well love winter. <laughs> and what do your activities look like now? You say you mentioned trail running. Like what, like what do you do now as, a, as an adult? How do you spend your time outdoors? My heart will always belong to trail running. That is my everyday disconnect from the world. I can take headphones or anything out. Just me and my two dogs are out on the trails, and it feels like 
you can kind of meditate. Like I honestly believe we're the best versions of ourselves when we're outside. I think we have this biological evolutionary need to connect to nature and nature can look different for everyone. It doesn't need to be the top of the mountain. It can be your river valley or your backyard or your park. But I think that as humans, we need that. So for me, trail running is always going to be home. But in the winter, we ski and in the summer, we paddle. Okay, totally fair. And how how did you end up working for MEC? And that must have been a super cool experience because you were helping with events, right? You were helping like organize events across Canada. Yes. With MEC, I was organizing events and then kind of moved into managing that national team for kind of community building and engagement within the outdoor world. But the journey to get to MEC was definitely, like everybody's, not a um, A to B. It wasn't something that I ever sat down and said, you know what, I want to work in the outdoors. I don't actually even think I knew that that was a viable career. So, you know, immigrant background, had gone to school, university, and studied, you know, the, the usual thing. So it's what? doctor, lawyer, nurse, accountant, and none of those were kind of ringing my bell. So I was like, oh, I'll go into science. And Just generic science. I'll go into science. That was that was it. So I was like, oh, sure, I can do science. I, I feel like I'm a logical person. Did science and, you know, still kind of felt like, well, you know, there's something missing. And in the background, I'm still doing my outdoor adventures and and recreating in the outdoors. And so I was like, well, maybe I want to connect this to the environmental side, because that still seems like a nine to five job that, you know, our culture is kind of carved out for us. So I did environmental conservation, and then took a very kind of traditional career in the beginning, working in labs and and doing science stuff. <laughs> All I'm imagining is like beakers and like test just microscopes and, and yeah. test tubes. Yeah, it's exactly that. Less mad scientist and more. <laughs> and then I'd have children and, you know, really wanted to be able to, to stay home with the children, but didn't want to fully leave work. I still needed a little bit of something for myself and had connected with Mountain Equipment Co-op. Because I thought, well, this is this is a great way to balance that being at home without, you know, having a full career. And as it happened, they were looking for someone to start races. It was brand new. They'd never really done a race before, but they thought, OK, well, we could do races. And I was like, sure, I run. I bet you I could organize a race. It's not quite that simple. There was a lot it's not the same. of learning. It's not the same. Yeah. You know, you go there with a thousand bibs and you're like, oh, I didn't organize these and I have to give them out. So that that process took a while. But I'm just going to say, it sounds like you took that job on like you took on the outdoors. You're like, I'll figure it out, I guess. We'll see what happens. Yeah, it is exactly like that. I was like, I'm, I'm, what's the difference? If you run a race, I'm sure you can organize one. They do not connect. But, <laughs> you know, we started running races and they were wildly successful. $15, people got to run a race. And so we started doing more. And as we were growing that race program, we were also starting to get into offering, like, I guess, workshops. So backcountry 101, how to camp, how to fix your bike. And 
that was I was really passionate about that and engaging our community and grassroots partners because the idea of democratizing knowledge, because that's the other piece about access, is who owns the knowledge and how that gets passed down through generations and how we can actually share that knowledge between different groups that may not have had access to it. So this was where my passion started to go was being able to really share with different groups and working with people like Parks Canada and their Learn to Camp and taking newcomers out camping. And so it kind of grew from there, from like what was a race program into a real community program where we were bringing in organizations and grassroots partners. We're offering learning. We're not only taking people out running, but we have climbing days and that actually grew at one point when we reflected back that we had, I think, 225 races across the country. We had, you know, workshops, like 40 workshops in every store. And I'd kind of grown with that program and, and was managing and directing it. And then the pandemic hit. And, you know, we know the the unfortunate story that uh, Mountain Equipment Co-op is a cooperative declared bankruptcy, but we're fortunate enough to have it taken over by another company. But in that time, you know, pandemic and, and bankruptcy, we had all been laid off. And so I had taken some time to do some soul searching and, and had always lent towards that community side of it. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to jump in and go nonprofit. We're going to do this Fully, and I had started with United Way working on their poverty initiatives. And it was working and it was amazing work. The people that work there are so passionate and so dedicated to the work they do. But this job caught my eye and it was from this company, Outward Bound Canada, their charity. And they had just landed a grant for the training academy. And I read what the training academy was about. And my heart said, you know what? You need to go back to the outdoors. And so I applied with the training academy. And that brings me to where I am today. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Let's take this outside. Now has a newsletter. Keep up to date with outdoor news, events, and great discount codes and deals from our partners. Sign up today at letstakethisoutside.ca. You're now the director of Outward Bounds Training Academy for Outdoor Professionals. So did you go straight to director or did you move, or did you move your way Jump up? Jump straight into director. Yes. Yes, girl, you deserve it. 
And clearly you've had a lot of experience in this space. But what's really cool is the same friends I was telling you about that with the mutual connection. They did the original like the original outward bound programs. Can you explain the difference between the outward bound programs and what the training academy for outdoor professionals is? Yeah, absolutely. So maybe just a quick history on an outward bound. Like outward bound actually describes a ship as it's left the harbor and headed out to face the challenges and risks of the ocean. And so Outward Bound Canada is really about offering experiences for youth that really challenges them so that they come out of it more compassionate, more resilient, with better leadership skills. So Outward Bound Canada offers as a charity youth outdoor education experiences. But what they had seen through the pandemic was the outdoor sector itself as a whole was really struggling. So two years of being shut down and many camps. So you think of the summer camps across the industry, I think it was almost 50 percent were in danger of closing. And so there were very few organizations out there that were able to continue at the level that they had continued previous to the pandemic and offer these very valuable connection points for youth to get outside. So they had applied to the government of Canada through their sectoral initiatives program for a grant to establish a training academy. And the training academy has three main pillars in it. And the first is to really encourage people to come back into the outdoor sector and want to work there and kind of fill that two-year gap of it being closed down and really create that pipeline of people that are there to be those camp directors, those outdoor guides, you know, working on your ski hills, all of that. And then the second piece is recognizing that the population that recreates outside that as outdoor professionals we interact with is very different than 30 years ago. It's more diverse and they have evolving needs. Coming out of the pandemic, we all have seen and continue to see the mental health crisis, the effects of isolation, a pivot in um, people's priorities, So how do we respond to the needs of that population that's also becoming way more diverse? So you think of cross-cultural communication, you think of, you know, being sensitive to how different equity groups get outside. So offering training specifically to our existing outdoor professionals that allows them to navigate those challenges and allows them to offer experiences that welcomes diverse people in and, you know, makes them want to come back. And then the third, which is my true passion here, which is diversifying the face of the outdoors. So when you go to your local ski hill and you think of who that archetype is of your your ski guide or maybe your hiking guide, what comes to mind? You know, sometimes you think of, yeah, <laughs> describe that to me. You know, what's funny is I've had this conversation several times on this podcast before, including some wonderful gentlemen who run a rental gear place in the heart of Gatineau Park. And it's called Nomad du Parc. And we were actually talking about how 
how white it is in Gatineau Park and how even though Ottawa is and Gatineau is a very diverse community, um, we are talking about, you know, the $15,000 bikes. We are talking, you know, I'm sure it's the same for the ski gear. We're t- and there's nothing wrong with this, right? But uh, the $15,000 bikes, the full kits, the, the $500 glasses, it's people with money and it's a lot of white people with money. And I will say that very like blatantly because it's, it's true, right? Yeah, intergenerational wealth. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, but like that's that's what seems to keep showing up, right? Oh, absolutely. And so, you know, when we think of that archetype of who is in the outdoors and who holds the knowledge and who leads in the outdoors, if we, as we're looking to invest in the outdoor sector, can diversify that face by offering free training, by offering opportunities for people to get outside and learn the technical skills then hopefully we can start to shift that because you can't be it if you can't see it. So when you take those youth outside, if they see themselves reflected in their leader, way more of them are going to be likely to say, that's an opportunity I may be able to do. And it's not for everyone to work in the outdoors, but for those that really have that passion, they need to see themselves. And so that's what this is about. I want to talk more also about what people learn in the training academy, but tell me the kind of experience you have and you feel when you see someone who's immigrated to Canada and they join the training academy, or perhaps a gay youth who's joining the the training academy, and they're like, oh, I actually feel like welcome and I feel like this is also for me. Like, do you see that? Do you like, how do you feel when you see that? It feels like bubbles. <laughs> I, you know, I'm a very tactile person, but it just feels like the the possibilities are endless there. So I'm I'm so proud of the program that we have, and and I'm always so excited to see people on that journey of discovery because when those light bulbs are going off, you never know where their path can take them, and it's like this series of like. Alice in Wonderland rabbit holes that they can all go down and who knows where they'll lead. They might be with their church group. They might be with a youth group. They may be simply going back to their family, but spreading that love within their family and who knows where that leads. So I think of this like endless possibility when I see it and it's so exciting. Right. Like you said, it passed on through generations through white people. But now if we can give people of color the opportunity to to learn and the free training, like that is a beautiful thing. That is an absolutely beautiful thing. And like, it actually makes me want to cry because what you're doing is obviously, you know, you're very passionate about it. But again, the whole point of this podcast is to make people feel more welcome in the outdoors. Because I think that the outdoors is for everyone and that people, I'm so sorry for tearing up here, but the outdoors is for everyone. And it's been my absolute lifeline through the pandemic and through like the hardest couple years of my life. And I had a guest on Melissa Lem. I don't know if you know Melissa or not. She's a doctor and she runs a program called Parks Prescriptions. So essentially uh, she like helps prescribe nature as a tool for people. She like can prescribe it. Like this is like, this is allowed. This is what people are allowed to do. So anyway, I'm just, I, I don't usually like go off on tangents like this, but uh, I'm so, I'm like, I just feel really lucky that this is an opportunity for people, right? There's an opportunity for youth to be able to learn. Yeah. And it's an opportunity for anyone to also be able to like change and go, I've always wanted to do this, but 
like I've never really been able to see the path or how to do it. And this like is that tool where they they're given that space to be able to explore that within themselves, learn the skills and really go, okay, like I'm willing to make that shift in my life because we're seeing a lot of people come out of the pandemic like myself, where I jumped into nonprofit. I was like, I, this is something I want to do. We're seeing a lot more people that are actually attending the training academy that are in their early 40s, mid 40s, and have done the nine to five corporate life. And it hasn't gotten them exactly what they thought that they wanted. And I think the pandemic showed that, that we're looking for connection, that we're looking for meaning, that we want real value an impact in what we do. And I think a lot of people have had that chance to reflect on that. And they're like, you know, I thought I wanted a bigger house or a bigger car, but actually what I want is human, human connection. I want to be able to balance work and my life. I want to be able to do what I'm passionate about, get outside. And so I think this is also giving people that opportunity to explore that in a really safe place. What sort of things are people learning at the training academy? What do these excursions look like? What does the academy look like? We have two programs. One is our foundations program, and that is really about creating access. So we were fortunate enough to be able to work with and color the trail. So Judith was been such a great support through this. She's been very honest in her feedback, given us a lot of, you know, really kind of hard hitting questions on who are you creating this for? Are you actually doing what you say you're doing? How are you doing it? And so it was with her feedback on the program that we had created foundations, which is six days of workshops and five days of an outdoor journey. And so it was really there to be able to shrink down the time commitment, be able to spread it out over weekends so that folks that have other commitments, especially racialized um, people that often have, you know, jobs that they can't get away from, maybe, you know, multi-generational families living in one um, house. So they've got elder care, they've got all these other things that they're able to access it. So the foundations is really about teaching basic technical skills, about people being able to be confident in their ability to get outside and be safe and have the skills that they need to take them through the different activities. So those workshops really focus on things like group facilitation, leadership, risk management, navigating different terrains, all of those pieces. And then they can put that into practice within that outdoor journey. That's five days And then we have the essentials, which is for people that are really looking to work in the outdoors or are currently working in the outdoors. And it's a pretty intensive program. It's 12 days of workshops. And within that structure, you do things like wilderness mental health first aid. So how do you react to someone that's in crisis at the moment and you don't have access to your regular supports? We also look at inspiring environmental and climate change leadership. So how, if you're taking groups of people out, they often have a pretty profound, deep connection to that experience and to the 
the natural world they're in. So how do you take that profound experience and influence long-term behavior change so that we're all committed to, you know, making a better environment and, and being climate change leaders? The other piece in there, of course, is justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. So how do we bridge that intercultural gap when we're interacting with different equity-seeking groups? Trauma-informed outdoor leadership, which was a concept that would have never existed even, you know, five, ten years ago. And so that is, we have different groups that have a wide variety of trauma. Trauma is like so much more prevalent than it than we ever imagined. And that can come from your lived experience, that can come from childhood. But we're putting people in stressful situations and we're putting people in situations that they're not used to and maybe don't always have that skill set. So if you're taking a first-time paddler out and if that triggers them, how do we create an environment where they're safe? How do we anticipate some of those triggers and how do we continue with that experience that respects their, you know, their previous experience and still lets them really have that kind of positive interaction with nature? And I mean, there's so much more in there. There's obviously technical training. So we have within that, we have 12 days of kind of classroom training. Then we have four days of, we call it base camp. So that's where you really learn some of those really technical skills, like taking groups through different terrains, weather forecasting, navigation, all of that. And then on top of that, there's a 10 to 12 day outdoor journey. So where you can get some skill certifications, where you can actually come out of it at the end of almost, you know, one month worth of training and look at it and go, okay, I actually now feel prepared to enter the industry or within my professional practice to adjust some of the the previous things that I was doing so that I'm reacting and offering services to the population that makes sense. This episode is coming out probably late spring, early summer. So at that point, when do the next sessions come? Like when are the sessions coming in 2023? So people, if people are interested, how would they potentially sign up? A full session start late August through till about the end of October. And then we have additional sessions in November and December in urban centers on the weekend. So people can that can't afford to take the one month off or, you know, two weeks for class or two weeks for the outdoor journey, they can take it on the weekends and spread out their learning. So definitely look for it around about the end of August to start up in, in different regions. That will be BC, Alberta, Ontario, and Atlantic Canada, probably in Halifax. And honestly, I've learned a lot in this conversation, but I feel like this is a big question to summarize, but how can the rest of us make the outdoors feel more safe and inclusive? It's personal invites. You wouldn't believe what a personal invitation does. So when you look at someone and, you know, you take a step back and you say, well, I wouldn't invite them hiking for me because they don't seem like they're a hiker. Take the time to invite someone. And go, would you love to come for a hike with me? I'm going for a walk through the River Valley first, but our goal is to get to this mountaintop. But the personal invitation within your own networks is huge. Um, And I, I can't understate that enough. And then the second piece is 
a personal learning journey on what allyship looks like so that despite the best of intentions that we're not doing something that automatically others someone so someone says hey like you know I, I was paddling this um last weekend and you're like oh like good for you i can't believe you did that whereas your reaction to someone else might be like yeah you're such a a crazy outdoor person you know think about how that kind of creates just two different expectations so i think that allyship and that commitment to personal learning and what that looks like for each of us because it doesn't stop for any of us that learning piece and then inviting please just open up your your invitation to include people that maybe you've never thought to invite before josephine baron thank you so much um is there anything else you wanted to add about the uh, training academy or before we go no just i mean a big thank you to you for creating such a precious space for having these intentional conversations and really it's needed and i love it when people are, are willing to invest the time and the energy to to actually make it happen so a big thank you to you as well i'm gonna ask you a favor too if uh, maybe you could send me a couple of resources in, in terms of allyship that i could post in the show notes i'd love to yeah i can post those in the show notes so people can actually you know when you refer to that, it's like, oh, no, here, here it is. So uh, Josephine Barron, thank you so much for having this conversation with me today. This was fantastic. Thank you as well. Thanks for listening. For more Let's Take This Outside, go to letstakethisoutside.ca. Kids, I'm your eager beaver. And I'm Mr. Grizzly. If you love politics or hate politics, then have we, we the perfect, perfect podcast for you. The True North Eager Beaver. Incisive political commentary. We keep you up to date and give you the political and media literacy you seek. To help you cut through the bovine fecal matter. Facts first. Sound analysis. Sometimes I growl. Sometimes I sass. We impart civics and build community. And we share some laughs along the way. Being informed and engaged has never been more fabulous. Or sexy. Catch us on, on the Dean Blundell Network or on our YouTube channel or wherever you get your podcasts. Because democracy, democracy is, is something, something you do. Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.